Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Do you have any friends who are Native American? Well, now we do. And his name is DJ Vanis. You guys, this conversation was awesome. DJ was born into the Ottawa tribe up in Michigan, and he allowed us to pretty much ask him anything we wanted. Even though we probably asked some some really dumb questions, DJ was all about educating us on his culture and Native traditions. Well, some of my dumb questions included, what should we call him? Native American, Indian, Indigenous. Does he celebrate Thanksgiving? And why is there pressure for all these sports teams to change their names, like with the Cleveland Indians, to the Guardians? And I wanted to know what movie got it right when it comes to the culture. And, oh, you guys, wait until you hear some of the tribal traditions DJ has gone through. Oh, gosh. Talk about a true warrior. You Just, guys, it's wow. crazy. Yes. We can't wait for you to hear this conversation with our new friend, Mr. DJ Vance. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, Steph. We finally get to talk we to this gentleman. We talk to him. We had to reschedule. He was under the weather. Yes. But it's we've happening been now. looking forward to this. Super excited. Friends, our next guest is a member of the Ottawa Tribe in Michigan, a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, and best-selling author, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. DJ Vanis. DJ! We're ready for this. Thanks for having me. <laughs> DJ, thank you for saying yes to us. We've been looking forward to this, we having this conversation so with you. so many things to talk to you about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so first off, what do you prefer to be called? Is it Native American? Is it Indian? Is it American Indian? What is preferred? It depends on the generation. I mean, a lot of the elders in, in our tribal communities still refer to themselves as Indian. Okay. Uh, my generation is more Native American and the younger generations, it's it's now more and more indigenous, uh, just kind of as, as a catch-all. But yeah, Native is usually what I go by. Okay. Okay. I have a question. <clears throat> question. Do yeah. you celebrate Thanksgiving? Yes, we do. Um, just because it's, you know, the story of Thanksgiving is not quite what we learn in school. It was basically, uh, you know, it was always a, a time of celebration for us anyways. It was a harvest, you know, during the fall. But yeah, I've always celebrated Thanksgiving and a lot of communities across Indian country do today. Uh-huh. Well, you just got right to it. Though, I'm Steph. so curious. <laughs> this is the first time I've actually gotten to talk to someone with this descent. I just love this. Are you okay if we just rattle off questions about this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, I was going to say about Thanksgiving is, you know, the the irony there is the Native community helped the pilgrims yes. survive. Yes. And then within a, a span of very short amount of time afterwards, it was open warfare mm-hmm. against those same tribes. So that part doesn't get taught in schools. Uh, Correct. You know, as much as it should, but it's kind of a, a travesty that, you know, we were basically showing generosity and kindness, you know, to our fellow beings who were struggling, by the way, they wouldn't have survived without help. And then to turn around and repay it in the way that they did was pretty awful. Has there been a movie that you've seen where you're like, okay, that was actually good. Ooh, that honored yes. 
honored yeah. our culture? Or is it the opposite? You're like, okay, they didn't this get is terrible. Close. That's Hollywood. You didn't, yeah. you missed it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's uh, on both sides of the spectrum. I'm trying to think of some of the awful ones. I, they're back in the fifties and sixties. Oh, Chuck okay. Connors played Geronimo. I mean, this is like, you look back at those and you can't even, they're cringeworthy. You know, it's like, you can't, you have to look away. It's like watching a slow motion train wreck. Um, <laughs> but some, you know, they're getting better at portraying it. And, now we have this native renaissance going on with movies and, and shows uh, because now we have native actors, native producers, native directors. So we're able to tell our story the way we want it to be told. Okay. Uh, not not the 50s, 60 era where, you know, the Indians are screaming and they're the bad guys and, you know, just wearing the yarn wigs. Just it's awful. You look back at some of that stuff. But now we have really good shows like uh, Reservation Dogs, uh, which is on Hulu or FX. Uh, okay. Great comedy series. Uh, shows contemporary native humor in the best of ways. I mean, I, I love that show. You know, the show Yellowstone is, is yes. really cool just because it's showing contemporary native characters and not everybody comes out rosy. You know, it's like yeah. a, it's a human kind of a character assessment and not over romanticizing it. What about like Dances with Wolves? <gasps> That's exactly what yeah. I was going to ask him. Or last, last of the Mohicans. Or... I mean, all of them have the Hollywood side to it, but there's, yeah. I think they did a good job. There was a lot of native actors in there, a lot of native consultation. So I think they got that one more right than the ones that had come before. And I met Dorothy Lee's charge who, she was the language coach in okay. that movie. And she, she and I were at this conference and we spoke at the same event. And I got to meet her and, you know, she was in her early seventies. She's since passed. Um, this was many years ago, but she had this great story. She said, you know, when I was teaching the language, the way that we teach Lakota is, you know, it's spoken differently between men and women. And the way I taught it, like basically Kevin Costner spoke Lakota like a woman in, in, <laughs> in the movie. So that's the inside joke, and uh, which I thought was hilarious. But she, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably what I would say. The best ones I think are yet to come. I think we've got some really talented uh, native directors and writers that are going to be producing some great stuff. All right. So I'm a big sports fan. Uh -huh. I've seen all these professional sports teams, DJ, mm -hmm. like Cleveland Indians, Washington Redskins. They've changed their names, but then other yes. teams have not, whether it's Atlanta Braves, Chicago Blackhawks, Kansas City Chiefs, Florida State Seminoles. Yep. So how does this work? What's offensive? What's not? What can you give your, I guess, your opinion on how this works, right? Because I'm confused on all of this. Yeah, as far as the mascots go, I, it's just um, the debates are hot and uh, vary across the country. You know, depending on the team. Okay, but for the most part, the native community in general is against the mascot. Creating a mascot from a race of people is okay. really thin ice to be on, because I try to compare it to. If we would have had a, a stadium or, or a team that had any other type of race besides ours, they'd probably burn the stadium down if they did that and dressed up as that race. You know, when people go, well, we do it out of respect. You know, the, the person who owned the Washington Redskins, for instance, it wasn't about respect. It was about billions of dollars sunk into a franchise with a trademark that they didn't want to change. And that's what it was about. And it was almost with the attitude of shut up. We're trying to respect you. You know, we're trying to honor you. And it's, it wasn't about that. And the danger with that is when you go to games and they're taking on one of these other teams is it can get disrespectful really quickly. I saw one image in one of the stadiums for the Redskins or maybe that was the Seminoles, but they're, they were lynching in basically a doll, you know, like a effigy of an Indian. Mm. And that's the kind of stuff that gets really ugly because yeah. you know, when you're talking about 
crossing the line, it's so easy to do when you talk about mascots. You know, you're yep. basically cartoon characterizing a whole race of people. Uh, the Cleveland Indians, you know, mascot. I mean, that was Little Black Sambo. Exactly. If you look back at that imagery, Little yes. Black Sambo, it's an overlay of the Cleveland Indians. So in that one, mm-hmm. it's not the name that's offensive. It's the mascot, how it's It's depicted. both. It's, it's both. both. That we, I think we've evolved enough, hopefully, that we see that making a, an icon out of a race of people for a sports team is just not good human behavior, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Steph, what is one of the most asked questions we get about tell us a good story? Uh, do I really get that excited? <laughs> Besides that one. Oh, how do we get all these incredible guests? Correct. Yes. And some of our best conversations have been with guests who our listeners have reached out to us and said, you should talk to this person. To name just a few, Nick Vujicic, Coach Tom Ryan, Carol Mutika were all recommendations from our listeners. So if there's someone you would like us to interview and think they might be a great fit for Tell Us a Good Story, please let us know at kevinandsteph.com. You don't even have to personally know them. True, but do me a favor. Before you submit their names, please make sure they are still alive. <laughs> That has actually happened, and it is super hard for me to find their contact information. But regardless, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Can you share a little bit about your childhood, how you're born into a tribe, and that type of upbringing in a Native American type environment? Because that is fascinating, DJ. Well, I grew up in a military family as much as in in a tribal community, but I grew up away from home. So my my parents had me when they were really young. I was born when my dad was in basic training. So even though I was born in Michigan, and that's where my tribe is in my home community, I grew up all over the country. So South Dakota, North Dakota, Mississippi. And then I went in to the military afterwards and spent time in LA, in Australia, Colorado. But my home community back in Michigan, that's still where most of my family lives. But my grandma taught our traditional language back in the early 70s. And so I've always been proud of that fact. Um, But I didn't grow up in my home community. Home was where the Air Force sent us. You know, depending on the year. Yes. Okay. So when you say home, is it like, is it a reservation? Is it a big city, but it's just a... Blocked off? Yes. How does that work? Where I'm from in Muskegon, we have a big native community there, but it's the reservation is further north uh, in a community called Manistee. That's where our tribal headquarters are. So it depends. I mean, when you talk about native communities, like in Minneapolis and Denver, They're really diverse. They're vibrant. It's multi-tribal from all over the country. But then you have reservations that are solely that tribe. And sometimes other tribes live on there too because they intermarry and, you know, part of the family. But when you talk about reservations, that's more defined as far as, you know, borders go for any state that you want to talk about. Uh, So it's a, it's a different kind of mix, if that makes sense. So, but that's a good question because sometimes people don't, don't get that concept of, how many folks live on reservations? And I think the the rate as far as how many people actually live on a reservation is pretty low compared to how many Native people are in the country. It's just they don't live on the reservation. They live in cities, communities that aren't their own. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you meet someone, DJ, from a different tribal community, mm-hmm. can you immediately tell a difference? Whether it's an accent, whether it's language, do you immediately know, okay, that's the Cherokees or that's the Ottawa tribe or how does that work? Yeah, there's uh, that's a good question too. There's diversity within diversity. I mean, we have okay. 575 federally recognized tribes in the US alone. And so you have a lot of diversity that speak over 200 separate languages. There are definitely commonalities between all the tribes, okay. but there are definitely distinct differences in food, culture, language, belief systems. Like there's certain 
small distinctions, but it's hard to nail that. So I was just asking. Hey, I'm DJ. I'm Ottawa. What tribe are you? Yeah, that kind of thing. Has there ever been like... It's always a safe uh, way to do it. But has there ever been like somebody's like, uh, I'm not Indian? Have you ever had that? Yeah, I, I asked a question. I go, are you native? Because sometimes okay. people are like, no, no, I'm not. But I only will ask that when I'm pretty sure that I know the answer already. Were you pretty sure when you looked at Kevin and I that we weren't native? I, you know, I didn't want... I, I never want to assume anything. So I just... Like I said, I always ask to be safe, so... Okay, DJ, that reminds me. Yeah. <laughs> I was having this conversation recently with a relative who's older. She was fascinated because she did the, was it 23andMe? Mm. And looked yeah. at the history, right? And so she's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this, Kevin. We're 0.04 Cherokee, you know, Native American. I'm like, who cares, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. that is, that, so with you, when you're out speaking <laughs> as a public yeah. speaker, are you constantly having people come up and tell you, oh, I am like 40%, you know, Seminole Nation yes. or whatever? Yeah, yeah, happens all the time. But I, I think it's uh, it's the fact that we romanticize Native culture in our country too. So I think that there's an affinity for people yes. wanting to be part of the culture. But yeah, I mean, I have conversations like that all the time. It's comes up as, you know, my grandma was a Cherokee princess. That's always like the the joke in Indian country about, you know, how many Cherokee princesses are out there in the world, I guess, because <laughs> they have a lot of relatives, you know. But um, anyway, yeah, it happens a lot. Well, I yeah. just want to know what your tribe was known for. Were you guys trappers? Were you hunters? Were you traders? Traders. Yeah, we were traders. Uh, we were famous for birch bark canoes. So we traded on all the rivers and lakes in Michigan. And then when Europeans came, we kind of ran the trade industry. Uh, okay. So we traded beaver pelts and all through that area. So that's what we were known for. Uh, and our fa most famous chief was Pontiac, which they named a car yes. after. But he basically organized 19 tribes to fight against the British uh, when they were starting to move further and further west. And we were allied with the French. So we were always allies and trade partners. But yeah, that's what we were known for. I was curious. I'm like, man, I wonder if DJ, I bet he's good with a bow and arrow. Or I bet he I bet he can throw an axe yes, like nobody you? else. <laughs> yeah, I can. Can you? Yeah. <laughs> I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty Which good one? at archery too. Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. Whenever we go to Renaissance Festival, I do the axe throwing and I'm pretty good at it. So I don't know where that came from. I, it must be uh something in my past. So So we've got a list of traditions. We yeah. would love to get your opinion on and get a story. Right, because I guarantee you've got some stories on these. First being, what is a vision quest? Okay, a vision quest is a ceremony that a lot of tribes did, uh, okay. and it was basically a ceremony to find your direction in life, to basically find your path. And so, when I did it, it's, ca it's called humblechiapi, which means actually the translation is to cry for a vision. Oh gosh! And you don't know why they call it that until you go out on one. So it's you know four days, four nights, no food, no water, no shelter. No water. No water. For four days. Yep. You're in the area the size of a tabletop during that entire time. And it's it's hard. It's really difficult. But the, the whole point is to pray for direction, for guidance, to have your path revealed. And so it's a it's a ceremony that's really tough. But my gosh, I've never had a more clarifying experience in my life. Okay. So when you did this, mm -hmm. at what point were you like, oh, this is tough? Is it like day three without water like at what point are you every like, year was things? super difficult so we do it Wait, for four years whoa, whoa, whoa. you do yeah, this for four years once? yeah so here's how it works though for the first year we go out one day one night okay second year two days two nights okay you third year we build up 
every year was extremely hard because the first time I went out, it was one day, one night, it was freezing cold. Sun never came out and it was brutal. And I had like this thin little army blanket. I, I learned after that to to bring the thicker Pendleton, you know, the, the wool ones, but I had like a little thin army blanket and it just did not, did not serve. Uh, it was really hard. Second year was brutally hot. It was probably over a hundred degrees and oh, man. just awful. And two days and two nights felt like two weeks. In the third year, again, freezing cold and heat. And then the fourth year was just a mess. It was, you know, rain. I was wet for three days. Um, when the sun did come out, bugs swarmed all over me. It was rough. But but the learning that you get out of those experiences, like I said, there's no people talking to you. You're not watching media. You, you have the ultimate clarifying experience. It's you out in the wilderness. And it's you, your prayer pipe, your blanket. And that's it. Who picks the destination and when you go out? Your spiritual leader. And it's always done in the spring. And um, your spiritual leader will decide where you go. Or you can, you know, you can have some say in it too, but there's traditional places like Bear Butte in South Dakota is one of them. But I did mine three years on Pine Ridge and one year in Taos, New Mexico, because my spiritual leader had moved down there. But what age are you when you're doing this? I was in my mid 20s. Okay. Sometimes you can do it as young, you know, being a teenager, there's definitely younger kids who do it. Uh, And sometimes you do it when you're older. Uh, It just depends on when you feel you're ready for it. So what happens if you get your vision your first night? Are you like, I'm done? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I did I'm good it? To go. <laughs> Is that? You're not done. You're not no. done. No, because you, you don't know what is going to be revealed to you during the ceremony. And that's the thing is you, you go through a, a lot. And the thing is, the first point that you're out there is just trying to get your head clear about what you're going through. You know, and so that's the thing is, and every year I thought I was prepared. Every year I was like, okay, now I've got it. Now I've got it. And you go in and you just get humbled all over again. So it's a it's a humility exercise as well. The vision that you received, are you still acting on it today? Always. Really? Always. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. Seth, you brought up a good point because I think that's what you and I would try to do. Like day one, we'd go to our spiritual leader. I'm like, hey, I got it. I'm I got good. good. I got it. I'm done. Good yes, to go. Good. Check the box. Yeah. It's been yeah. 10 minutes. I know. <laughs> yeah. I've received it. Life-changing <laughs> 10 minutes, sir. That, that's all that's always the thing too. Yeah, because if you're out there for 3 or 4 days, you know, you're, you know, that first day, you know, you realize they're not coming to get you. Nobody's coming to get you until the end of the ceremony. So oh, you're out there, man, in the middle of nowhere. Wait, so, do you have to worry about like animals? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're out there with them. So I mean, that, that, there's a potential for that, but it's yeah. all part of the experience. Steph can you imagine me like the night before going on this four day adventure? I'd be at the buffet. I was going to say, you're eating I would everything. Be, <laughs> I would be like, <laughs> that's actually a smart strategy. Yeah. Like, finding pack, the pack it in buffet. as much as you can. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to need this. And, and, and super hydrate, super hydrate. Yes. Oh, I can imagine. Like where your back teeth are floating as much as you can. <laughs> it, it all goes away after the first day anyway. So, yeah. Okay. So, you talked about spiritual stuff. So, from a Native American side, in regards to religion, what do you believe as a higher power? Is it God? Is it the universe? A certain spirit? What does your tribal community believe in? The creator. I mean, we, okay. we believe in a God. But, you know, again, tribal belief systems are different. We believe that everything that's alive has a spirit attached okay. to it. But as far as my personal beliefs, I believe in, in a creator. That's when I pray. That's who I pray to. Okay. 
So, but it, it depends on which tribe, like I said, everybody. And there's a lot of tribes who practice Christianity, especially in Oklahoma. You know, all the tribes down there are, you know, have a strong Christian faith. So it just depends. I mean, that's a very, you know. Broad question. Depends on the individual. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about, what is a powwow? Oh, a powwow. That's yeah. What that's a that? gathering, a gathering of native people coming together to celebrate the culture and heritage. Uh, so it's dancing, sometimes competitive dancing for prizes. I just went to powwow two weeks ago here. And um, did you win? No, I didn't. Da- I'm not a dancer. I'm not a dancer. I'm a watcher. Yeah. Uh, but no. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a get together to celebrate our culture and heritage and share it with other people, because a lot of people that come to powwows are not native. They want to come and, and shop and buy cool stuff and eat good food and listen to great music and watch some incredible dancers in all different regalia, which are beautiful. Uh, and it's always fun to go because it's like I said, it's like a big get together, big family gathering with people that aren't necessarily direct relatives, but it feels like that when you're there. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. So DJ, for all of our guests, I like to give a list of fun facts to let okay. listeners know what you've done, what you've accomplished. Steph's not aware of any of these. So okay. As you can tell, she's ready to jump the gun here. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So you're going to see her genuine reaction to this. Okay. Fun fact number one goes along with what he just said. Okay. DJ is a veteran sun dancer. Oh. So what does that entail, DJ? Yeah. Sundance is a ceremony of Thanksgiving. So for four days... You dance from sun up to sundown, and you're really? praying for everyone in the world except yourself. So you're praying for all the things that you're grateful for, all the things in the world. And again, during that ceremony, during the day, you go without water and you go without food for four days. You go without water. You get a little bit of water at night in the sweat lodge, but that's it. And it's really, again, a difficult ceremony. But And we go without those things that we take for granted again, our family, our friends during that time. And we focus on just the ceremony. And so we honor the pain that women go through in childbirth by push, push, pushing to make the world go on. We as men pull, pull, pull. So we do a piercing ceremony where we're led to the, this tree in the middle of the arbor called the, the tree of life. And we lay down on a buffalo robe and our spiritual leaders make incisions in our chest and put skewers through the incisions. And then those are tied to ropes and those ropes are tied to the tree. And so we go up to that tree and we dance backwards and we do that four times. And on the fourth time, we pull, pull, pull until we break free. And sometimes that can take two minutes. Sometimes it takes two hours. I've seen it take two full days for somebody to finally be released from their lines. Yeah, he slept out there under the tree with his stick still in. Wait, wait, wait. So that's why we do it, to respect the pain that women go through in childbirth. And yeah. It like rips through your skin? Yeah. When was the last time you did this? Um, mid to late twenties. So okay. it's been, been a while, been okay. over 20 years. Is like stitches involved here. No Nothing. stitches. No. Because what's left is you have basically a hole and the, the medicine people come up to you and they take care of you. They put what's called red earth medicine into the holes, which is like dried clay. Uh-huh. 
And for whatever reason, it's never had an issue with healing. They, they heal no up infection, perfectly, no infection, anything. Scars? Uh, yeah, definitely have scars. Okay. But that's, you know, one of the things that when you go through that ceremony, it's, you know, you feel very humbled. You know, it's, it's, it's not about proving yourself. It's not about seeing how tough you are because you don't feel very tough when you got tears in your eyes and you're completely dehydrated and you know, you're doing this as a sacrifice to give thanks for all the good that's in the world and all the people that you share it with. So you said sometimes it takes two minutes, sometimes it takes two days. How long did it take you? Oh gosh, I, I didn't have my watch on, but uh, <laughs> every every year it felt like it it took a while. I mean, I it bet. was you know because you're pulling and your skin's pretty rubbery, and you know you're you're pulling as hard as you can. And did you have to sleep? Yeah, there? it was definitely several minutes. No, no, no. Okay, but it but it took a while. And when they oh, they finally man. pop out, they sound like firecrackers. You know, pow pow, and shoot to the other side of the arbor. And that was the inspiration for my first book, The Tiny Warrior, is because. When that happens, you know, I was looking down at the ground and you could see puffs of dust rising up where the drops of blood hit. And I was so grateful. I just, I had this feeling of euphoria that I was just so grateful in that moment for being released from my lines. And I was so grateful. And my, my medicine man, he came in and grabbed me by my, my sage bracelet. Um, and he said one thing to me, he didn't say way to go. He didn't give me a high five. He, you know, I've been preparing for four years of my life for this final, we do it every year for four years. And then that fourth year, he simply said, remember, you're a warrior now. And I felt that big. I felt so small, so humbled, because what I learned in that traditional circle, especially in Sundance, is that warrior role, what it was really about. It was about somebody who was a servant, somebody who was a contributor, somebody who led by example, not perfect example, uh, somebody who at the end of the day, you know, asked, what can I do, not what can I get, and somebody who dedicates their life to serving others well. Mm. So it wasn't about being the tough guy or gal. It was taking your creator-given talent and ability, developing that over a lifetime so you could be an asset or a benefit to the tribe that you served. Well, DJ, hands down, you're one of the toughest guys I know now <laughs> after, after this, what you just told well, us. I was in the delivery room for my first daughter, and I'll tell you, watching that experience, I would rather be a Sundancer every day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> so, All right, Steph. DJ was honored with the name Eagle Bear. Oh, okay. So that's his name. So how does this work, DJ? Does it become like your middle name? Is it like DJ Eagle Bear Vanis? And who chooses the name? Because I've been given some terrible nicknames in my life. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so how yeah. does that work, DJ? It's a traditional naming ceremony. So we go into the sweat and I'm there with my spiritual leaders and they pray over me. Okay. And the name that I get is revealed to them and then they share it. And so that was, you know, is a big honor to get that name. You know, it's uh, big shoes to fill, but that's how we get the name. And then as far as, you know, how the name works, it's just, that's my spiritual name. So okay. I don't, I didn't do a permanent name change, you know, with the government or anything like that, but that's, that's my spiritual name. That's how, and it's Matowambli is what it is in Lakota. All right, Steph. So DJ was a decorated captain in the U.S. Air Force. So, DJ, do you have any good stories from the Air Force or jump school or any anything declassified? I would yeah, say, yeah, yeah. That you can share. <laughs> oh my gosh, a ton! It was such a great experience. I really, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, there's a there's so many good ones. But going to jump school is definitely a highlight. 
it's one of the things that we get to do at the Air Force Academy okay. where I graduated, you know, like any of the service academies, West Point or Annapolis, we have special programs that we go through during the summer. And one of them that we could sign up for was going to free fall parachute school. Oh. So your first jump out of the plane is not tandem. It's not static line where it's pulled for you. It's you jumping your rear end out of the airplane and screaming, crying and begging for your mom all in the same <laughs> breath over 10 seconds of free fall, which feels oh like gosh. two hours. No one's on your back. And you pull your own ripcord. So you do two weeks of training and it's intense. It's like it's jump sequence, jump sequence. I mean, they drill it in your head so much. We would joke that, it, you know, the next morning we would actually dream about it every night. So we're at the, you know, at the, getting food in the morning before the sun even came up. And we're like, did you dream about it last night? Yep, I did too, you know, <laughs> because they drill it in. And, and I'm glad that they did because you lose your mind when you go out of that door, you know, fear and all this comes in. So that training is so critically important because when everything else is chaos in your mind, you remember the training because the first time out of the door, you know, you hit the, the wind stream and it's going over hundred miles an hour. So as soon as you hit that, you tumble. You know, as soon as you leave the door and you're tumbling all over the sky. And so I remember seeing sun, mountains, ground, sun, mountains, oh. ground in, a, in, a, in this free tumble. And I remembered, I in my mind, I go, remember the training, remember the training. And I arch my back as hard as I could. And you point your belly towards the ground, which, you know, is our center of gravity. And it was, I mean, a half second. You stabilize and you're in a free fall. You're in the right position. And I mean, I was like, whoa, that worked pretty good. And now you're in that the right position. And the crazy part is when you jump out of an airplane, the first few seconds feels like you're falling. But okay. once your body stabilizes and it equalizes, it doesn't feel like you're falling anymore. It feels like you're flying. Really? It's an amazing sensation. It's not like the roller coaster where the whole way down, no, you've lost your no. stomach. Nope. It, after the first couple of seconds do, but once you equalize, it feels like you're flying. It's absolutely amazing, but you're not flying. You're, you're falling at 120 <laughs> miles an hour towards the earth. So it's time to pull your parachute. So I reached over, pulled the rip cord and you feel it coming out of your back. Okay. And all of a sudden it grabbed the wind, you grab the air and you go from 120 miles an hour down to 15 in about a second and a half. Oh my gosh. And it is, that's why they call it opening shock. Cause it really is. I was seeing stars, you know, I'm like dangling in my, in my harness and then we're coming down and I'm now I'm enjoying the ride. I'm like, God, this is incredible. You know, like looking out at the scenery in Colorado and really enjoying it. And all of a sudden I hear screaming and I look down and the person who went out first, who was my roommate during jump school, Charlie, his parachute was about the size of a quarter and he's floating over a road, over another road, over some trees. And he's, he's screaming at this point. And now I start worrying because I'm going the same way. The wind kicked us out of the drop zone across two roads. Really? Into yeah. So I hear him going, no, and I see him hit a riverbed, and you see this puff of dirt and debris go up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not good. And so, anyways, I'm coming down the same place. And so again, the training kicks in. They teach you if you're gonna go into an obstacle, uh, you cover your face, you okay. cover your your neck with your thumbs, you tuck your knees up, and you put your shins forward to protect your soft parts. And I did everything right as I hit a tree. A small tree, sapling, probably only about 12 feet high. Didn't feel small when I hit it because everything, I had done everything right except my knees were apart about that much. Okay. So when I hit the tree, oh no, it was like, it was like kids jumping their bikes on a summer, you know, yes. and jumping a ramp and missing the seat. Yes. That's exactly what it was like. I broke the top of the tree off, went to the other side. I'm tangled in my lines. It was a mess. And I landed in a cactus patch. I mean, you can't write this stuff. 
And so I'm just a mess. I'm tangled in my lines. The sergeants show up and they're laughing their heads off. They're like, I mean, it was just such, luckily I was okay. I mean, I was holding my breath and, you know, like trying to catch my wind after taking that blow. And all of a sudden I see Charlie coming over the hill and he looked worse than I did. His helmet's like, he's covered in dirt. And he's got dirt in his teeth, you know, like when kids hit the ground, they're like, where's everybody? You know, his helmet's on crooked. He's looking out one of the eye holes. It was just a mess, a mess. But that was our first jump. And uh, they got better after that. But the first one I'll I'll never forget because that was just pure chaos. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. All right, so DJ starred in the PBS special, Discovering Your Warrior Spirit. He taught a room full of people about Native American traditions, about serving others. Mm. So they chose DJ out of everyone they could possibly Yeah, how does think that of. work? This was crazy. Can you share yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a story in and of itself. It was an incredible opportunity uh, that I got to be part of a documentary called The Warrior Tradition. Uh, that PBS did. And it was highlighting how Native communities honored the warrior path, especially when it comes to military service. We have the highest rates of service of any ethnic group in America and have for over 100 years. I believe it. So, And that was one of the stories that you know I was excited to be part of telling. So I got tapped. It was They started off with a list of 175 people for this documentary. They got that down to 139. Then they got it down to 75. Then they got it down to 39 people that they actually sent camera crews all over the country to interview for this show. And then out of that, 16 people got selected to be in the film. And I was one of them. And yeah, which is crazy in and of itself. Huge honor. And so when that was done, I got pulled aside and I got asked, would you be, would you be interested in doing a national pledge program for PBS? And I said, me and who, who else? And they said, just you. And I thought it was a joke. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, right. You know, well, flash forward a year and a half later, and I'm flying out to New York to do the shooting for this project. And it was a ton of work. I've never done TV before. Okay. And it is so much work. Uh, It was like 24 script revisions, you know, over the course of, you know, six months of writing. It was, it was a lot. So are you writing the script or you have a team or staff who's writing it? No, I was writing it and then they were editing, you know, we're kind of like trying to push down the message to where it would fit in the program. Uh, I've never used a teleprompter before. And it was weird because I'm so used to being with a live audience. And one of the things that was, it was killing me to not look at the people who are in the room and have to look at the teleprompters. It was just a weird experience, but it was a great one. I mean, I learned a lot, but um, it was an incredible honor to get that opportunity it was a ton of work, but I'm very grateful of to get that chance. And I was really happy how it turned out. What an honor, though. All right. Yeah, so it was. DJ is the author of The Tiny Warrior, Spirit on the Run, and his newest book titled The Warrior Within, which we have right here. There you go. Yeah, yes. right on. Right on. So can you tell us more about your book and the process to become a published author? Because that is a huge, huge accomplishment. 
I appreciate it. I, I feel very blessed that I've had the opportunity to do these. Um, they were all tough, but getting the first book published was kind of a fluke uh, because it's, it was self-published first and it's called The Tiny Warrior. Small book it was written as a parable. And after a few months, it ended up in the hands of uh, an agent. And he said, do you have an agent for your book? And I said, no, I wasn't trying to get it published. I, you know, it's just self-published. And he said, I think we can get this picked up by a publisher. He goes, I'm sure of it. So within a couple of weeks, we had like three companies that wanted to pick it up. So wow. that was how my first book got published was not a traditional path for sure. And then that that book is now printed in six countries. Um, I call it the little book that could. It showed up all over the place, places that, you know, nooks and crannies I wouldn't have expected uh, in the world, which has been pretty neat. My second book, Spirit on the Run, it was an inspirational novel. And that was about going through hard times and coming through in the end better than we thought we could be. And that was self-published. And then the third one came out with Penguin Random House. And so I, I got an agent, worked really hard on a book proposal, took about three, three and a half months, uh, ended up getting a new agent. And then she was phenomenal. And we ended up getting a deal with Penguin Random House. And really happy with how the book turned out. It was a ton of work. It was a year-long project, writing timelines and yes. you know editing timelines. And it's a, uh, it's a lot of work. Um, but I'm really happy with how it turned out. Oh, good. All right, listeners, for more information about DJ, you can go to his website at nativediscovery.com. You can also contact him on LinkedIn. It's DJ Vanis, also on Facebook at Building Warriors. And we will put all of these links in our show notes, including his YouTube channel, which is Building Warriors. Well, DJ, I'm so blessed we were introduced to you by one of our prior guests here. So thank you so much for sharing some stories and, and talking about your book. This was fantastic. Thank you. Uh, it's been an honor. I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And I'll say uh, which is in our language. Thank you very much, my friends. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tells a Good Story.